2: A warning, this series contains discussions of themes that might be distressing for some listeners. Kia ora, I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor. Welcome to this special bonus episode of Peter Ellis, The Crash Case, and Me, Peric Victory. it's now been a year since we launched our eight-part podcast series and just over a year since the supreme court declared a miscarriage of justice and quashed peter's convictions we've really enjoyed all of your feedback and support for our show and wanted to give you a little bit of an update in this bonus episode we talk to some of the people who were involved in this case and ask what has happened since the supreme court finding Has our government issued an apology to Peter's family? What about compensation? And what about the four women crash workers who were accused and whose lives were also turned upside down? You can also watch the video version of this story on newsroom.co.nz So you're telling me that you've had no apology? Diddley squat. Nothing that even remotely looks like an apology. I'm I'm talking to Peter Alice's sister, Tania, at her home in the small town of Leithfield, north of Christchurch. So we get a decision, and then we close the book.
4: Off you go and get on with your lives. Fine. Cool. I mean, what the actual? Seriously? There's no closure on
5: that. Kia ora, good evening. 30 years ago, it was a case that gripped the nation, when Peter Ellis was found guilty of 16 charges of sexual abuse against children at the Christchurch Civic Crash. Now the Supreme Court has quashed his convictions.
2: Peter Ellis to... died in 2019, three years before the Supreme Court delivered its findings.
1: This court has found that a substantial miscarriage of justice resulted from the...
2: So, the majority of his adult life, he was... A convicted child yeah.
4: abuser. It's a waste of his life. He was a very talented. He was very talented and loving and fun and quirky. And, yeah, he's just Peter. You must miss him. I do miss him. I do miss him. The release of this court's judgment marks the end of a long and painful journey through the courts... How do you think he would have
2: reacted to no apology?
4: Well, you know, he didn't, he took all of the arrows and he never threw them back.
2: He so didn't throw them back.
4: I'd fucking want to throw them back. And he'd hate to hear me swearing.
2: We're just going to briefly remind listeners now of how this high-profile case all began. The Christchurch Civic Kreish Saga is one of the most controversial legal cases in New Zealand's history. Back then, the early 90s, I was based in Christchurch reporting for TV3. What was it like for you hearing his sentence this morning? I prayed. Peter, a childcare worker who happened to be gay, worked at the Civic Crèche, a council-owned childcare centre. He and a group of female staff became victims of a phenomenon now known as Satanic Panic, in which claims of ritual abuse in childcare settings swept the globe, arriving on our shores in the early 90s. While his women co-workers were eventually discharged, Peter Alice spent seven years in prison, but continued to protest his innocence and took his case to every level of the country's justice system. This is from an interview I did with him in 1993. I hope one day that they're actually going to be prepared to come along and say, Hello Peter, can
5: you tell me Did we get it wrong? And I'll tell them
2: they got it wrong because it didn't happen. For three decades, he fought to clear his name. Then, in October 2022, the Alice family finally received vindication of a sort when his convictions for child sex offences were quashed in the Supreme Court.
1: The appeal is allowed... The convictions of the appellant are
2: quashed. Peter's brother Mark and sister Tania spoke to the media immediately after the verdict.
5: I wish my brother was here, because um, it was really what he deserved. It's not, not for us to hear so much.
4: Being on the court steps at the Supreme Court was mammoth. It was groundbreaking and it was, for New Zealand law, it was a huge event and it was great for for, the people who were left in our family, but of course the two major players weren't, and that was Mum and that was Peter.
2: Leslie Ellis also died before the Supreme Court made its decision. She'd devoted much of her life to supporting her son, attending every day at his trials in Christchurch and helping negotiate the constant media attention. It's finally come to
4: an end, but it hasn't really come to an end. So, you know, as far as the Alice family are concerned, um, the result that we got last year was epic. But nothing has been forthcoming from that. 30 years of hell? Yeah.
2: Is that what it feels like? They went, hey, we got it wrong, sorry about that. Uh,
4: yeah, almost, but there
2: wasn't even the Sorry. Do you think that it's surprising that no-one from the Crown or the Government have apologised to Peter's family?
5: Well, let's say not just Peter's family, but let's look at all of those people that were affected by that. Because it wasn't only Peter who was charged, uh, the the women who were charged. And um, their lives were destroyed uh, by being charged, by being paraded in front of the media, of which you were a member. Yes, (laughs)
2: Yes, <laughs> Rob Harrison led there? the case to the Supreme Court. And I was yes. one of the good ones, though, as you know.
5: <clears throat> we'll talk about that later. But, uh.
2: <laughs> Rob Harrison was also Peter Ellis's original trial lawyer in 1993. They were definitely paraded. Yeah. Day in, day out. Yeah. You would have seen some of the old footage that I've shown recently. You know, lines of cameras, cameras up ladders. Yeah. Those poor women.
5: Exactly. And their families.
2: And their families. So... It was outrageous. Yeah. You do look back and think, how the hell did all that happen? Yes. So let's go back once again to the early 90s, when the Crash case was in full swing. Just months after Peter faced 45 charges of indecencies against 20 children, four of his female co-workers at the creche were also arrested in a coordinated police swoop.
3: I remember being taken away and locked in a cell with the other woman and being fingerprinted. A nightmare experience having to be fingerprinted and photographed. I just couldn't believe what was happening to me.
2: Gay Davidson was the supervisor at the Civic Crèche. Like Peter and the other women, her life was suddenly ripped apart.
3: We knew we were innocent, but that doesn't really help you. I got sent that bullet with my name on it. That that was, you know, you just don't know what's coming next. You were scared of meeting people, because how they would react to you, um, what they would say to you. Um, I walked into a shop and was yelled at to get out at one stage and then you had to report to the police twice a week and it was just horrible i mean I can't, I can't really describe how bad it was
5: their lives were devastated and the reality of the situation is given the nature of the allegations against peter <clears throat> they were implicated peter's mother was implicated all of these people were implicated in what those allegations were. And uh, all of their lives uh, were devastated.
2: And their children's lives, because most of the women had kids and husbands and families. Exactly. In an interview I did a couple of years ago with Gay Davidson, the creche supervisor, she said we will never, ever be considered innocent until Peter's name's cleared. Well, now Peter's name is cleared. Yeah. I think. Nothing. Nothing?
5: Well, the answer to that may lie in the fact that they found that there was a miscarriage of justice for a number of reasons. They didn't find that Peter Ellis was innocent.
2: Do they ever find anyone innocent?
5: Well, in some instances, they say that, you know, there has been a miscarriage of justice because of this, this, and this. In Peter's case, there's been a miscarriage of justice because the trial procedure and processes that were in place were faulty, which is a, a fine legal distinction, right? So the evidence, they agreed, was contaminated, but more significantly, the evidence put forward by Dr Karen Zelis was highly prejudicial.
2: She was the lead psychiatrist? Yes. What you're saying is Peter's conviction was quashed. He wasn't found innocent or or not guilty. Right. How could he be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't there have to be a retrial? And of course there couldn't be a retrial because he had died.
5: Well, the other side to that is, um, say for example, Peter was still alive at the time we got that decision. Then I think the Supreme Court would have had to have looked more closely at the issues of contamination and uh, of the children's evidence and those contamination factors and a few other bits and pieces and said, well, uh, there's no way that you can go to trial on this evidence. But they didn't have to make that decision.
0: Right.
5: Because he was dead and we couldn't have a retrial.
2: So what about the women? I asked Gay Davidson whether the Supreme Court finding helped her at all. When Peter's convictions were quashed, was that a great day for you?
3: Yes, it was. um, Tinged with a lot of sadness that he wasn't around to get it, to be there. To witness it. To witness it and be part of it all. So it was sort of like a sad time really but it meant a lot because it was the start of people believing in us that they that he didn't do it even though he you're right he it was squashed um, but it was something the courts were admitting that they got it wrong and it was that was really it was a good miscarriage of justice. justice absolutely was a miscarriage of justice the courts were admitting that but then suddenly it's just all gone away I mean, he his family need to be compensated for all they went through. They, the, an apology is fine, but it doesn't address for the hardships that they went through either. Can I tell you that they
2: haven't received an apology?
3: Oh, I thought they had, sorry. Oh my God, that's even worse. Oh, that's, that's sad and disgusting. There's, it's like they can just, we've done it, but we can walk away again.
2: I interviewed you about three years ago. And one of the things that you said to me stuck with me, and that was we don't feel, the women, crash workers, don't ever feel like uh, our names will truly be cleared until Peter's name is cleared. Do you feel now like your name's
3: been cleared? No, not particularly. Um, I always thought it would, it, it feels better. Now that his name has been cleared with quashing of his convictions, but it's like we've been forgotten. We've, um, we still, I still feel like we're in limbo. Basically, we've um, we lost our careers. Our families went through hell with us, and so did our friends. And it's like they've just um, maybe like swept us away, like we didn't exist because we've never been mentioned. Um, and the damage it did to us. Gay
2: Davidson's colleague at the time, Marie Keys, says it's taken decades to put the
1: pieces of their lives back together. We used some of our earthquake money that we got from the earthquakes to pay legal aid, but it was hard going from having an income to not having an income and trying to get another job. Yes, I did cleaning, you know, just anything to bring in money.
2: But can you just explain to me about the legal aid? Because you had to pay a heck of a lot of money back for your legal fees. Yes,
1: and we were having, um, we had garage sales t- and to raise money. So you're telling me that you used some of the
2: earthquake money mm. to pay back the fees that you still owed.
1: Yes, we um, had, we were given money f- from, we were paid out from the earthquake, and s- we still had some money owing, so we paid, paid yeah. it off. Mm.
2: So you were still paying off your debt for the crash case and your legal fees. Mm. Twenty years later. Mm.
1: Oh. Mm. Yes. But we we got there. Gay Davidson
2: says the fallout from the Christchurch Civic Crash case has continued for
3: decades. I know there was a caveat on my house which I had to pay back when I when I sold it. Um, to the to the legal aid.
2: So it cost you financially as well? It, as it What regards.
3: cost me financially, it took my career away from me. It um, took my confidence. But it, yes, it did cost financially. It took me years to get a job that paid what I was being paid 15 years or 20 years prior as, as a, the, this crash supervisor. Do you think
2: you should be awarded compensation?
3: I think... I think we should. It should be acknowledged what they did to us. Um, I think it should be. We should have an apology for what they put us through, and yes, compensation should be looked at because we all were stopped dead in our tracks in careers we all loved, and I don't think any of us ever financially recovered from that, um, and it was because of the the monumental muck up that they managed, that they did. And, when, and so that was just the financial side of it, mm-hmm, yes. not the emotional stress. No, well that can never be measured, can it, how much work, everyone went through. And everyone went through it differently. And, um, yeah, so I don't know how you could ever compensate anyone for that emotional mess that they went through.
5: It's almost um, like a pirate factory.
3: Yeah.
5: Because you don't – there's – there's nothing of substance uh, left. You have the stigma, if you like, removed. But for those people who have lived that for thirty years, that may come as um, sh- a shallow victory. Uh, you know, they have that. They have that feeling. Great. You know, uh, finally, someone has looked at this and said, "This was wrong." You finally win, but. Uh, you look around you and there's nothing left.
2: Tania Alice lives in the same area as Peter lived after he got out of prison in 2000. There's a seat dedicated to Peter at Leithfield Beach, not far from the fish and ship shop where he worked. Up the road, his ashes and those of his dog are buried along with their mother. Florence May Poodle,
4: Alice. That's his dog. That's his dog, yeah. (laughs) We got special permission. He
2: loved um, animals so much,
4: didn't he? He did. He um, was never far from a menagerie, which was his house. So, Mm. Um, yeah, this is quite a special place for me, obviously, and not too far from home, which um, means I can visit often, which I do, not for long, but I don't need to be here long to say what I need to say. So I just wanted to show you something, Melanie, that I've put on top of the, the gravestone. Um, there's just a wee stone that Peter used to have at uh, the Wesley Hospice, which was Hope. And I brought that down a wee while ago because I really hope that something happens with finalising where we are with this. Because, like we said, the door hasn't quite closed properly. It's ajar and it needs to be firmly shut. In the correct way.
2: Both Peter's family and the women Crash workers I spoke with are hoping the Crown will come to the party and at the very least apologize for everything they and Peter went through as a result of the case. We will keep you updated with any developments. For more award-winning journalism that matters, head to newsroom.co.nz. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series It helps new listeners find us. Check out our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Melanie Reid Investigates. You can also listen to our latest hit podcast, The Boy in the Water, by searching for it on Apple, Spotify, or your favourite platform. This episode is produced and presented by me, Melanie Reid, edited by Paul Entercott, original music by Age Pryor, also written and co-produced by Bonnie Sumner. This is a newsroom.co.nz production, funded through New Zealand On Air.